0: You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Alison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging, To bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers and much more.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 40 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. Alison, how are you this week?
2: Um, Very well, thank you Valerie. I can't believe we're 40 like where did the time go? How did this happen? Is I know it, we should totally have a midlife crisis right now.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. What do you think? Would we go buy a new Ferrari or something? Yeah,
2: yeah, totally. That's what we need. We need a we need a red sports car this immediately. Anyone who wants to send me one should feel free.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, send our sports car. What's been happening in the you know in your world?
2: Um, well, I've oh you know what I had a really exciting day on Friday because oh. um, the bookshop readings announced its. Um, it's a top 10 middle fiction books for 2014. Yes. And then That Maker Chronicles was on the list. Yay. Uh, hooray for that. So that was, you know, worth a glass of wine at the end of the day.
1: Just, just a glass? <laughs>
2: yeah, well, you know, I'm pretty moderate these days. <laughs> I'm a little bit more than 40. I'm a little bit older than the podcast, so I can't <laughs> hold my wine like I used to.
1: <sighs> anyway, what about
2: you? What have you been up to?
1: What have I been up to? Uh, been busy doing quite a lot of things at uh, at work at the Australian Writers Centre. So we've got a pretty exciting new program coming up called the Business of Freelancing. So it's all about the business of freelancing. Um, you know things like invoicing and ABNs and GSTs and you know how do you manage your cash flow and stuff like that. <laughs> so very I exciting. That.
2: I think I should do that course.
1: (laughs) I think you're okay on that one. I might need a refresher. (laughs) And the other exciting thing we've been doing is because we really want to – gives some exciting things to our community. So we've got some great giveaways and competitions with our newsletter. And this week, the prize, I believe, is um, we've got 10 lots of $100 packages uh, with a in a prize. And you get to spend them with a company called Sendle, which is S-E-N-D-L-E. And um, it's kind of like a new uh, – it's, it's perfect for Christmas because what it is, it's kind of like Australia Post except they come to your door, pick up your package and deliver. It at the other end to the door as well, oh, so yeah, hundred dollars wow. worth of free sending. Um, but you need to, if you want the details, you need to um, make sure you're signed up to our newsletter. So check that out at writerscenter.com.au. Excellent. com so Excellent. That's what we've been doing. Mm, so
2: cool. what's what have been happening? Reading. You tell me what's been happening. What have you been reading?
1: I have been reading uh, a lot of things on the internet.
2: <laughs> what a
1: surprise! <laughs> the occasional YouTube video. <laughs> And, uh, well, what I have been reading is um, the Oxford Dictionaries have released their Word of the Year and it's an interesting one. I don't know if you've ever heard of this word because I sort of noticed this trend last time I was in America, uh, lots of people selling those electronic cigarettes. Have you seen those electronic cigarettes or vaporized cigarettes?
2: I'm aware of them.
1: I couldn't believe them until I Mm. I saw them at the shops and I'm like, oh my goodness. Anyway, so the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year is vape. That's V-A-P-E. And what that means is because it comes from, it's an abbreviation of vapour or vaporise. So when you, to to vape means to inhale and exhale the vapour produced by an electronic cigarette. (laughs)
2: <laughs> there you go, word of the year. See, I personally like the shortlist better. Um, so I, my my favourite was probably Normcore, which was in. I was introduced to the concept of Normcore by the lovely Pip Lincoln at Meet Me at Mike's because, you she, know, mm-hmm. she's very cool and across all this stuff. So she was talking about Normcore on her Facebook page one day and being the total, like, dag that I am I had to ask her what it was so she told me all about it it's a trend in which ordinary unfashionable clothing is worn as a deliberate fashion statement and I love it because I think I've personally been normcore my entire life (laughs) so I've finally come into my own so that's my word of the year what about you have you you got one do you
1: use it much
2: it's I think only ever on a um in an internet sort of environment have Mm. I ever used it and only in talking to people like Pip,
1: <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs>
2: who, who know about yeah. this stuff.
1: <laughs> yes, of course. I love these words. I'm a bit of a little, you know, a bit of a word uh, junkie. And well, I suppose that's no surprise. But um, I thought vape was particularly interesting because it's kind of like, uh, you know, let's go stand on the corner and vape. It just doesn't quite have the right, you know, ring to it.
2: No. Oh, it doesn't. But you know, that just in keeping with that, and I'm throwing this in because you know, I, I know that you haven't read this one yet, but um during the week I also saw in The Guardian mm. they had a list of the top ten words invented by writers. Oh now that is an interesting interesting list because it includes words like Banana Republic. Yeah. Which, you know, we've been there's been a bit of discussion about that lately because of Bob Hawke being back in the in the news a bit with his Australian story. Mm. And then the word beatnik, you know, which everybody kind of thinks of immediately to describe a particular time in the 60s, mm. was invented by San Francisco Chronicle columnist Herb Kane. Mm. I mean, did you know that? The words, the word bedazzled was. Bedazzled? Um, yep. Yeah, uh, Shakespeare. Uh, we have Shakespeare to thank for quite a few. Yes. Catch, Catch 22, which is something people talk about all the time, which of course was the. Um, the name of a, of a novel, Joseph Heller. So it's really quite interesting. Freelance was invented by a writer, really? hardboiled serendipity, Who done it? Like it's, I, I found that list really, really interesting. So mm. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well because I think that's one that we should definitely have a look at.
1: Moving on to our next Moving link. On. We have a um, great uh, post from um, Jessica Reed on how to pitch to this editor plus what I would give my right arm to read more of.
2: <sighs> why, what, what does, why the side? Uh, I just, I loved this. I really, really enjoy. Like I can honestly say that this was one of my favourite things to read on the internet in the last week. Um, so like as an editor, I would love to have her as... <laughs> as one of my writers it was all so clear so interesting so funny and I loved the fact that she's inter- what she wants is useful stories she's over opinion and I also am over opinion yeah she wants stuff that is actually not just about what you think about stuff but about stuff that's going to be useful to other people and i so you know she could possibly be my favorite person on the internet at the moment <laughs> what about you what did you think of it?
1: I just thought it was good. I think that, I mean, it it was quite, it shared quite a lot because obviously people, um, you know, thought that it was interesting or useful or worth sharing. Um, But I don't think that we often see editors... We, I, I see ad, posts and articles written by editors complaining about PR people, sometimes quite unfairly. Yes. Um, but And occasionally you see a snipey comment from an editor about the kind of pictures that they are receiving. But I actually see very few uh, positive posts on saying what they would like to see more of, what are yeah. they looking for, and I'm not yeah. really sure why. They're, uh, they're well, I actually...
2: Um, one of the sections of my um ebook, Get Paid to Write, is a section where I went to 12, a dozen editors and asked them what they wanted and what mm. they wanted to see more of. And I think that um, if you ask them, they tell you generally, but they don't generally write blog posts about it, um, <laughs> of what they're looking for. And I think that was the mo- that was the really refreshing thing about this. Generally speaking, you know, at the end of the day, what most of them want comes down to, very similar things you know they want stories that are pitched directly to them rather than some random subject that you'd like to write a story about Mm. Um, they want stories that keep their readers in mind Um, they want stories that have you know that are original with like have a fresh angle to them i think that's um often you know people are, are sending out are sending out story ideas that that they love but they're not thinking about where's the new the new newness in this story, you know, the yeah. news angle. Um, so yeah, so it's quite interesting. But um, uh, yeah, I, they should probably all write blog posts about what they want.
1: Yeah, I mean, it will just save them a hell of a lot of time, and it will help sort the wheat from the chaff, right? Because mm, then, then p- p- freelance writers can actually pitch exactly what they're looking for. Yep. Anyway, anyway, I suppose there's still that kind of um, that sense of secrecy as well, though. I mean, you remember in our days when we were full time in magazines, you never discussed what you were working on with other people in the building because it could be potentially get to another magazine and then they could scoop you on it. And, yeah. you know, there's 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 those stories of magazine editors who have their flat plan and their or all of the pages up on the wall so they can just see it at a glance but then they have a big curtain that they draw across it if there's a visitor in the building or coming in for a meeting so that the visitor you know isn't yes. isn't enlightened and potentially could tell the competition or something as well so well, there,
2: I, I guess you do I mean you know like at the end of the day magazines particularly magazines like in this particular blog post we're talking about the Guardian online which is is more immediate but you know there's a long lead time involved and you don't want to get your you know get your fabulous story and then someone else find out about it and pip you at the post with the whole thing either um i think that's one thing but the other thing is also that freelance writers need to remember that they also need to do some work like they've got to analyze the publications get an idea you know if you send in a story that the magazine has run two months ago you are not going to be popular like you've (laughs) got to think well you know like have you not read it (laughs) yes you do need to do some work and have a look at what the magazine is actually doing and think about what ideas you might have that will fit within that mix as Mm. well I think to be fair
1: yes well (laughs) An article, a post that caused quite a little bit of controversy this week was by um, Raquel Eberly, who is from Newsmodo, and he's mm. the founder of Newsmodo. We've interviewed him on this podcast before. And he wrote a piece in Mumbrella about what is the future of journalism. And, you know, it's quite a good piece, but one of the, the main things that he is saying is that um, one of the points he's making is that brands and journalists will be enemies no longer. In other words, he's really kind of pushing the whole content marketing thing that there's that there's this huge trend towards content marketing that brands are increasingly commissioning journalists slash writers whatever term politically correct term you want to use to create articles and content for their own publications because the barriers to entry into the world of publishing have decreased significantly before you had to be a media company in order to you know put out content now coca-cola can do it or you know procter and gamble can do it or um rain and horn can do it if they really wanted to any brand can do it you and i do it even just on our blogs so he's he's very much setting the scene that content marketing is here to stay and obviously it you know, attracted some comments here and there about um, the evils of brand journalism, whether it should even be called brand journalism. Um, So what are your thoughts on this? Should people continue to uh, defend that, you know, journalism needs to remain pure in a sense or should they be embracing the fact that content marketing is here whether you like it or not?
2: Um, I totally agree that content marketing is here. Um, I don't think it's going anywhere fast and no, I think it, that it does open up some some great opportunities for freelance writers. Having said that, I think it needs to be made extremely clear all round to everyone who's reading that that's what it is. I, yeah. I just think, you know, it's all very well to talk about blurring boundaries and things like that but to a degree, you know, like there's got to be, there has to be sections of this world that are not infiltrated by brands. There's got to be um, journalism in its purest form, which is to tell the stories as they need to be told, not influenced by anyone else. So, mm. whether that's actually you know feasible anymore, I don't even know. I can't even answer that question because there seems to be bias in every direction. Mm. Um, but when it comes to brands, then it has to be clearly marked. There's got you've got to know that you're picking up the Procter and Gamble magazine, mm. and that that's what it is. Because at the end of the day. Um, you know, our entire world can't, the messages that we get are so confusing sometimes mm. um, that people need to know where they stand. Mm. Yeah. That's what I think.
1: Sure. There you and go. You? That was a you and you? <laughs> <summation. laughs> what do you think? And succinct summation.
2: What do you reckon?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I agree. I think that content marketing is here to stay and there definitely needs to be that Delineation. Um, I do think that there needs to be some kind of uh, standard for that delineation. Otherwise, the 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 act of delineating is very subjective. And some people say, "But we said it this way, so it should be obvious." Or we said it this way; it should be obvious. But there should be some kind of clear standard that's used. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm not necessary. I don't necessarily know what that standard would be. But and of course, the whole. S- the landscape is evolving as we speak so it will be interesting to see how it all pans out but yes. one other interesting development in the world of um publishing is well a couple actually um, the hoopla have decided to launch a quarterly newspaper for girls in the 16 to 24 year old Range, and uh, M- Mamma Mia have decided to launch a um, new online portal, online magazine called Debrief Daily for the kind of forty plus <laughs> year old range. So, <laughs> there's, so, there's yeah. a
2: mixed there's a mixed message if ever there was one. Um, Thoughts?
1: Do we need this?
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, I need is a is a is a what we, a very <laughs> murky area. Um, I I think it's interesting because I remember we discussed not so long ago in one of our podcasts the fact that ebooks, um, that the demographic, the 16 to 24 year old demographic, is reading way more print books than they are ebooks. Mm. They like print in that area. So I guess from that perspective, the, um, the quarterly newspaper thing is maybe not so strange. I'm interested that it's a newspaper. Mm. Um, I don't quite know why it's that and not a colour, you know, like a little magazine or something But because I would have thought that colour might be important. But anyway. um, It might be a colour newspaper. Well, I'm just looking at the cover and maybe, interestingly, it's got orgasms on the cover, Mm -hmm. which, you know, like you and I both know about from 1998, but anyway. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I I think that that's interesting. It's the it last is. time we had one, <laughs> well, certainly the last time we wrote about it. <laughs> yeah. um, the so the radical and risky move, yeah, possibly. Um, I don't know. I don't really really know what to say about this Val. Well, what are your I, thoughts on it?
1: My immediate concern is that it's a newspaper. It's four dollars and it's forty pages. Four zero. Four dollars. Yeah, and it's forty pages. Wow. Okay. So. I mean, for four bucks, <laughs> you're expecting more than 40 pages. 40 pages is like the price line, you know, thing that you get in your yeah. letterbox. It's yeah. – you, you, get, you get supplements and free magazines for more than forty pages that uh, with lots of pictures that look great, you know what I mean yeah so that's my concern. It's very, very thin for yep. something that's four dollars, yeah, and I think that will be hard to get cut through. I mean, I definitely wish them well, and I hope it goes well, but my immediate reaction is forty pages is very, very small.
2: yes, I agree mm. I agree um and at the other end of the scale the um the forty plus website, well, again. We have to ask, need, don't know. It depends on what it is. You know, it's one of those situations where it's hard to comment on these things until we actually see it. Yeah, them.
1: exactly. That's yeah. true. So let's wait. Okay. Okay. So what's happening in the world of blogs, Al?
2: Well, I came across an interesting um, post this week on writechangegrow.com, which ah, yes. is a um, regular blog by Thea, who writes regularly about freelancing and yes. different things. Hello, and Thea. She- Hi, Via. She wrote a post and it's the third part of a series that she's written on why my first attempt at business failed. Mm. The third one caught my eye because it's why my first attempt at business failed, writing for free. Mm. And she talks, and this is a question that comes up a lot, I know, amongst our listeners and with students at the Writers' Centre, with people that visit my blog, is this whole business of should I write for free and if I write for free, how long do I do it for? Mm. Um And in her blog post, Thea talks about the fact that she started out writing for free for the exposure, Mm. um, you know, to get herself noticed and stuff. And, and, you know, that's that's kind of like a time-worn strategy, I guess. Um, But she basically says, I made a mistake by giving it away for free and doing it for far too long. Mm. Now, what are your thoughts on writing for free and how long do you do it for?
1: Okay. Um, it depends, I guess, on where you are at in your writing journey. If you've had absolutely nothing published whatsoever, yeah, <laughs> you know, you're completely at, you know, day dot kind of thing, yeah. then I I don't have a problem with, you know, to get your name out there, get two or three things, write for free. But here's the thing, don't write for free for some blog you know, that no one reads, where you won't actually get any exposure, where you won't get any um, feedback on, from a, from a experienced editor on your writing. You know, if you're going to write for free, write it for something that's where the end product is going to look really good so that you have a, a good clipping or a good thing that you're proud to show other people. And beyond that, and if you've picked those two or three places carefully, that's it. You don't have to write for free again. Yeah. Because as long as you've picked them carefully. Um, Some people have shown me some of the outlets that they've written for free for and I kind of shake my head and go, why would you write for them for free? Because you've gotten actually nothing out of the equation because you don't get any prestige, you don't get a great clipping, it doesn't actually even look good. Um, So, yeah, for for people who are writing for free continuously, I mean – hey, if you want to do it that's your, for your own reasons, that's fine, but I don't think it's necessary at all. I reckon you pick two or three opportunities very carefully uh, and if you pick them carefully, you won't have to write for free again. Right. How about you? What do well,
2: you think? I, I agree. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I do think that um, it can be useful. You need to choose where you do it very wisely. I think you have, you know, a certain number of words. You need to decide where you're going to spend them. And there is a certain amount of spending involved in in writing for free. You've got to remember that you are actually spending money there. There's time and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then, you know, and I think the other thing you need to remember too is that if you write for free for someone it is very very difficult to go from that to charging
1: absolutely so if you're
2: going to write for free for someone it needs to be someone that is going to a give you some worthwhile as you say clippings but also someone that you possibly don't want to write long term for yeah someone you can take the you need to take those clippings elsewhere that, yeah that would be my thought.
1: Yeah. And also, um, I'm not sure whether Thea did this or not, but she did. She does say, well, I did get work writing for websites. The money was either ridiculously low or non-existent. So I'm not sure whether she or, you know, other people who are listening were ri- actually writing website copy, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is totally different to yeah. writing articles for online or print publications. Now, yeah. if you're writing website copy, uh, look, if you're doing it for your cousin or your mm. mother or your auntie, go nuts, write for free or, you know, I, I, a chat. Charity, go nuts, write for free, but if it's not, then from day one you should be charging.
2: Yeah, because how are you getting exposure out of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, get your practice by writing for free for your cousin. <laughs> yep, yep. But then after that, once you've honed your skills, you know, doing it for a charity or whatever, then yeah, you should be charging.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yes,
1: right. There you go. So moving on. That was that's an interesting interesting post. Anyway, yep. So. This week, our writer in residence, uh, it was, is Ryan Nicodemus. Now, Ryan is one half of the writing duo, uh, called The Minimalists. That sounds, that's a bit of a tongue twister. I'll say that slowly. The. <laughs> 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 they are behind a blog called The Minimalists.
2: <laughs> <laughs> very good lovely
1: now the minimalists <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, You know, his co-writer is Joshua Fields Milburn and um, they started this blog about a few years ago and basically, you know, I think we mentioned them very briefly in a previous podcast because, you know, just the fact that they, um, you know, had this book, but they were recently on a world tour, uh, well, a hundred city tour, which did incorporate uh, Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne very recently and I caught up with them when they were in Sydney, and their world tour was all about, you know, how to spread the word about minimalism, and obviously to, um, you know, promote their blog and their book, their book as well, and so they have gone from. This little blog where they kind of just wrote about, you know, getting rid of stuff in their lives and finding a more meaningful life because they both came from high-profile corporate careers, um, and it has gone nuts. It's had, had uh, um, it's up to five million, it's a five million readers, mm. and. Gosh. Um, you that know, they've been able to go on this world, world tour. The events they've held have been free. You didn't have to pay to, to, mm-hmm. to go them. So what was really interesting was to chat to Ryan about, well, that journey, how they get their revenue, because I didn't, you know, I had to ask, yeah, um, enough. because they've also started their own publishing company as well and they've published, you know, several books under their publishing company. They're American. Um, so it was a really interesting insight into how this sort of, you know, chucking out and decluttering their life spawned really a movement because you get a lot of minimalist devotees around the world who, have, you know, subscribe to what Ryan and Joshua do. So um, I hope you find it interesting. Here is Ryan from The Minimalists. The Minimalists consist of Ryan Nicodemus and Joshua Fields Milburn, who are best friends, and bloggers who write essays on minimalism. They're currently on a 100-city world tour where they're sharing their message about living a more meaningful and more minimalist life. Their blog has grown to nearly 5 million readers, and they've spoken at Harvard Business School, Apple, South by Southwest, and World Domination Summit, just to name a few. They've co-written several books, including... The Minimalists, How to Live a More Meaningful Life, and their most recent book is Everything That Remains. I caught up with one half of The Minimalists, Ryan Nicodemus, when they were recently in Sydney. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: We're very excited that you're doing this tour, not only of the world, but obviously of Australia. But for those listeners who you know don't know how your blog got started, can you just give us a brief rundown of The Minimalists?
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, my name is Ryan Nicodemus. I am half of The Minimalists. Uh, my, my, uh, my partner, Josh, Joshua Fields Milburn, he is the other gentleman who runs the website with me. We have been uh, best friends up until uh or i'm sorry ever since we were you know fat little fifth graders <laughs> and uh up until this point so uh and in, in, you know hopefully another 20 something years but yeah we both um grew up together uh we climbed the corporate ladder together at at a uh, big corporation over in in america and it got to a point where we were pretty successful uh, pretty young at about 28 years old we kind of reached that point where we had everything we ever wanted you know we had everything we were supposed to have I had a very important job title with a very respectable corporation I was responsible for hundreds of employees and yeah I earned a six-figure income I bought a shiny new car every couple years I owned a huge uh, 2,000 square foot condo it had three bedrooms, two bathrooms. It even had two living rooms. I have no idea why a single (laughs) guy needs two living rooms. But yeah, I I pretty much had it all. And Josh, uh, he kind of had the same thing. He was uh, living in a nice big house, uh, had a wife, literally had a uh, white picket fence. And we were kind of living the American dream. And uh, unfortunately, it it, it wasn't making us happy. We kind of followed this template that we were supposed to follow with Uh, you know, having a nice job and having a bunch of nice things. And instead of happiness, uh, it really brought us kind of the opposite. We had a lot of discontent, a lot of debt, uh, a lot of, uh, just just a lot of stress in our lives. And the minimalists came about with, really, Josh kind of introduced me to this idea of minimalism. Uh, He had a couple really crazy events happen in his life where his mom passed away uh, and his, his marriage ended both in the same month. And it kind of made him search for something else. And he didn't really tell me at the time, like, hey, I'm going to try out this minimalism thing. I didn't really notice till probably six, seven months after those events happened where I noticed this uh, significant difference in his attitude where he was feeling happier. And, and I noticed it on the outside and I, I did what any good best friend would do. I invited him out to a really nice lunch, I took him to Subway and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we were sitting there and we were having lunch and I'm like, hey man, what what is going on with you? Why the hell are you so happy? <laughs> and he told me about this thing called minimalism where he was simplifying his life over the last few months and he talked about how he was able to get the clutter out of the way to make room for the things that were truly important. And then he introduced me to an entire community of people who called themselves minimalist. They were doing the same thing. There was this young guy named Colin Wright He was a 24-year-old entrepreneur who traveled to a new country every four months carrying with him everything that he owned. Mm-hmm. Then, then there was a guy named Joshua Becker. He was a 36-year-old husband and father of two with a full-time job and a car and a house in the suburbs. Then there was a gal named Courtney Carver, a 40-year-old wife and mother to a teenage daughter in Salt Lake City. And there was this other gentleman named Leo Babalta. He was 38 years old. Uh, He had a wife, six kids, and he lived in San Francisco. Mm. And all of these people were living considerably different lives, people from different backgrounds with kids and families and different work situations. But I did notice right away that they all shared at least two things in common. First, they were living deliberate, meaningful lives. They were very passionate and purpose-driven. They seemed much richer than any of the so-called rich guys I worked with in the corporate world. And second, they attributed their meaningful lives to this thing called minimalism. So me being the problem-solving guy that I am, I got really excited. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I've known you for over 20 years. If, if this has worked for you, maybe it will work for me. And and I... I said, great, I'll be a minimalist, but I didn't really know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) So Josh and I came up with this crazy idea called a packing party where we decided to pack all my belongings in my 2,000 square foot condo as if I were moving. And then I would unpack things day by day as I needed it. So Josh literally came over and helped me pack up my clothes, my kitchenware, my towels, my TVs, my electronics, my frame <laughs> photographs and paintings, uh, even my furniture, everything. We literally pretended like I was moving. So after a couple hours, and, uh, or not a couple hours, about nine hours, and a, and a couple pizza deliveries, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we had everything packed up. And yeah, I spent the next 21 days unpacking only the items I needed. So you can imagine that first night, I unpacked some clothes for work. I unpacked my bed and bed sheets. Mm. Uh, as time went on, I unpacked other things like, you know, a tool set, uh, the furniture I actually used, some kitchenware. Um, just really being deliberate with with uh, the things that I was, uh, or keeping being deliberate with uh, keeping track of the things that I was using. Mm. And after 21 days, I had 80% of my stuff still. Sitting in boxes, just sitting there unaccessed. Mm. And that was really kind of my light bulb moment where I thought, This is this is crazy. Here are thousands of dollars worth of things that I have brought into my life to make me happy, and they're not doing their job. Mm. So I donated and I sold all of it. And that's really where the minimalists.com started. It was with that packing party story. You know, I thought to myself, yeah, I think other people might might get value out of this. They might uh, enjoy this story. So, yeah, you know, Josh and I did what any two 30 year old dudes would do. You know, we started a blog. Of course. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, that was, yeah, that's kind of how the minimalist came to fruition. And we never expected it to grow uh, this much. But, yeah, we, we got about over 3 million readers a year now. Um, It'll be closer to 5 million this year.
1: Wow, and when did you start the blog? How many years ago? Or what year was was it?
0: It was 4 years ago. So
1: Right, so you're going to almost 5 million readers in 4 years. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. So, did you I mean, did you just want to share it? uh, Share your journey? uh, Or did you have a bigger purpose? Or was it just this fun hobby on the side? Like while you did other things? Did you stay in your sales job?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, It's not like we just quit our jobs and started a blog that's uh it's <laughs> the worst plan anyone could come up with no it really was it was a hobby um i i wasn't a uh i never really loved writing and never really had the urge to write until this experience happened to me and i really wanted to put it out there and josh he has been writing um ever since i can remember i mean i remember him getting excited about you know english class uh, when we were in junior high and i never really understood until and, and so now and And uh, yeah, it was kind of a hobby that we started. And really, I just wanted to, I wanted to pay it forward. I wanted to uh, just kind of put my recipe of minimalism out there. And Josh, uh, you know, he has his own recipe too. and, And we thought it would be a good idea to share that via a blog. So, yeah.
1: And so, at what point, can you remember, at what point was the turning point, where you, where it was no longer a hobby, and you put all your your energies into it, because now, you know, Mm -hmm. you're on a world tour, you've written Mm -hmm. several books, Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that point.
0: Yeah, so, we were about seven months into the website. We had been, um, you know, kind of applying these simplistic principles to our lives for about two years, but the uh, the blog was up and running for about seven months, and we reached about a hundred thousand people a month coming to the website, wow. and that was kind of when I had looked at Josh and, and we looked at each other and we we're like, "Wow, this is a lot bigger than we expected." You know, we are the minimalists; we should write a book on minimalism. <laughs> <laughs> So we started to craft the book, and that came out about a year to the almost to the day uh, when we when we first launched the blog. If I'm remembering and that correctly, and which
1: one was the first book?
0: It's minimalism: live a meaningful life. Yes, it's, m- it's more of a it's more prescriptive. Uh, the book we just came out with now, uh, back in January, that we released, is called Everything That Remains. It's it's more it's more of a uh, a why to book, you know, instead of a, a how to book. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, we we started a uh, we. I'm sorry, we uh, wrote that book. We came out with that about a year after the website, and then we put some kind of essay collections together. Um, I guess you can cons- consider those, you know, books that we've written together. Um, it's really just essays off of our website, but you know, they're up on Amazon for like 99 cents a piece, and those seem to do really, really well. There's a few of those uh, simplicity essays. Um, essential Essays, uh, The Day in the Life of a Minimalist. Those are all, like I said, like ninety nine cents. But, mm-hmm. but a lot of people still enjoy that paperback experience. So, what we what we really focused on with uh, with all of our books is kind of you know giving that option to people. And what we realized is that with the tools we have today, we could do that. So we have audiobooks, we have um, print books. You can get our books on uh, on any of the e readers. So so yeah, we have kind of built that up over the last over the last four years or three years, I guess.
1: So when you've written books together, um, you know, uh, especially a memoir, what how take us through the actual practical physical process of <laughs> writing a single book with two people?
0: Yeah, so the first book, Minimalism: Live a Meaningful Life, that was that was a really huge growth process for both of us. It, it was not the easiest process in the world. Re- really, the way it started was with us outlining, having conversations about what we felt like were kind of the most important parts of our, uh, or the most important lessons that we've learned throughout our, our journeys. Mm-hmm. So we outlined uh, what we wanted to put in the book. Um, I, I would take a certain chapter, Josh would take a certain chapter, and really... Um, Josh is the one who, cause someone's got to relinquish a little bit of control. So, uh, Josh is the one that kind of put it together and edited it and then sent it my way. And then, um, you know, I did, I did the same, uh, but with everything that remains, this was a much different approach. Josh came to me and he's like, Hey man, I want to write another book with you. <laughs> and I said, that's great. But I was, I was really tired after that last book.
1: <laughs> yeah. It takes so, a lot out of you.
0: It really does. So this one we did a little bit differently. The book is really a nonfiction narrative in Josh's, from Josh's perspective. Mm. And throughout the book, uh, there are 108 interruptions from me via footnotes in the back of the book. So what's really cool about this book is you can have a couple different experiences with it. You can read the nonfiction narrative and ignore all my footnotes uh you know some of those are very you know profound uh, interruptions some of them you know i'm just you know being silly and and being goofy mm. but it, you know we recommend that you read it with two bookmarks essentially so uh the the way the process worked with this one is josh wrote uh, his perspective of our story and then i took a hold of it and added uh, footnotes throughout the whole thing
1: it's a unique approach. Um, so now you've started a publishing company in yes. Montana. Why did you decide to do that?
0: Well, we have a third partner, mm-hmm. uh, Colin Wright, who came to us in Dayton, Ohio. He was he was on a like a fifty or forty eight state bus tour. <laughs> <laughs> and he stopped through our city. And we were having lunch with him, and he laid out, he pulled out this really insane-looking business plan. I've never seen. It was like a like a weird Venn diagram-looking <laughs> thing. And he started to talk to us about this idea he had for a publishing company. And I really, Josh and I both really, uh, it just it really clicked with us because we thought about how we were able to make a living as a writer. On our own, without having to go through that that old guard of, uh, you know, a million different rejections until you get someone that says yes to you. And we just said yes to ourselves. And what we wanted to do was help our friends uh, do the same thing. And we have found this really great recipe of, you know, building an audience, adding value, uh, and then you know the the, the nitty gritty of formatting and editing and in all of that whole process. So what we, what we decided to do between the three of us and and Colin, he's 28 years old. Oh no, I'm sorry. He's 29 years old now. And he has published like it's over 30 books. So, so the three of us have been able to uh, do well on our own. And what we decided to do was to help out basically our friends who are uh, trying to get their name out there and trying to publish their books. And plus it was a fun project for us as well. It was something that, we were really excited to learn. Now there are some days I wake up and I'm like, "Why the hell did I start a publishing company?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I will I will say though that uh, it is it is definitely a net positive. The learning experiences that we've had, uh, the relationships that we're building, it's it's been a really really cool thing.
1: And what kind of books are you wanting? Is the aim you know to publish?
0: We're not really discriminatory. It's 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 good writing. That's really what we want to publish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we have an author. Uh, Robin Devine, she published her story about how she loves to knit and how she found this great passion and, for knitting and, and, and donating. And we, we've we got a, another author who um, published a, uh, you know, fiction. Uh, it, was, it was fiction about kind of the restaurant industry and, and from a perspective of a certain waiter there. And, um, yeah, I mean, Josh and I, josh and i's publications are, are different than those two so we we're really again not looking for any particular genre we're just really looking for good writing
1: right now you're currently on this world tour and i'm currently speaking to you in sydney which i believe is city number 97 that is correct uh, what what firstly why did you want to do a world tour what's the purpose you know, because I understand you're doing, you know, these meetups and free talks and stuff like that. And what's it been like going to 97 countries so far, oh, or not the country cities so far?
0: It's crazy. You know, there are a few reasons why we did this. Uh, first and foremost, this is a message that we really believe in. And we're not out proselytizing or trying to convert people into minimalist. You can't even do that by definition. Uh, what we're doing is just kind of sharing our recipe and and really... Uh, trying to show people that there is a different way to live life that doesn't include, um, or doesn't have to include, the pursuit of stuff or the pursuit of of money, and uh, I mean that first and foremost, that's why we did it. You know, second, we really wanted to get out here and build stronger relationships, whether that's with uh, independent bookstores or whether that's with our readers, we really wanted to get out here and, and build stronger relationships. You know, we go way out of our way to have our events at independent bookstores because we really feel like uh, they are kind of getting the short end of the stick right now. And and I love any independent shops, not just bookstores, but, but any independent shops, how uh, people who own those shops typically are very invested and passionate about what they do. It's not just about... Uh, you know, profit. Profit is not their their main goal. I mean, certainly they need to make a profit to stay open, but mm-hmm. typically independent shops have owners who are very passionate about what they do. So yeah, building relationships. Um, and then yeah, we have never we we went on a tour with our first book, Minimalism: Live a Meaningful Life. We didn't do any international cities, and we have since then just beginning been getting tons and tons of requests, and we. Decided with this book that we would we would go out and, and expand a little bit.
1: And so, when you embrace minimalism, you were inspired by you know various people. You've named some of them, Leo Babauta and Chris, and all of that. So, what are some of the surprising stories you've heard from other people who've read your blog or books and have made changes into their lives?
0: <laughs> My favorite story. Uh, is got to be this gentleman in Toronto, uh, which, a side note, we, we were in Toronto giving a talk about minimalism, and we were at the biggest mall in North America, in, in Edmonton. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, not Toronto, it was Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it, it was yeah, very ironic. I mean, here we are in the biggest mall talking about minimalism. But, but this guy in Edmonton, he raises his hand, and he was like, uh, yeah, because we, we do questions and answers mm. afterward. He raises his hand. He's like, "I don't have a question. I got more of a statement. Because of you, I had to get rid of my bed." And Josh and I looked at each other. And Josh is like, "Sir, we never really encourage people to get rid of any particular item. You know, if your bed adds value, have your you know keep your bed." And he was like, "No, no, that's not it." He was like, "You know, my wife and I, we were very uh, on on the edge, and we were lost, and we didn't really know what to do. And then we found your website, and we started to." apply these simple principles to our lives and it really saved our marriage and we had so much sex that (laughs) our kids complained (laughs) about our bed being too noisy so we had to get rid of our bed (laughs) that was uh that was was pretty funny
1: Oh, good Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <it> was-
0: <laughs>
1: well, as your first book, The Minimalist, Live of Meaningful Life, um, you know, it, it says, it's, it's, it's not just about getting rid of stuff. You actually go through, you know, your relationships mm-hmm. and you go through various categories in your life that's nothing to do with your actual stuff. Well, it, so it's expanded well be- beyond the, the you know, traditional concept of minimalism to how to live a better life. How, where do you learn how to live a better life?
0: Yeah, so, you know, for the longest time, success to me was so important. Like, I grew up poor. Money was always kind of the seed of discontent growing up. So I thought, all right, growing up, I've got to be successful and I've got to make a lot of money. And when I was faced with 80% of my stuff, sitting in my living room is when I really started to think about, okay, what, what 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 do my priorities need to be? And the first thing that I thought was, okay, if I hadn't spent thousands and thousands of dollars on this stuff, I would not be in debt mm. and I wouldn't have to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week mm. to maintain this lifestyle. I could reclaim some of my time and actually Foster relationships that I was ignoring. Like my mom lived uh, like a half hour away from me, mm-hmm. and I saw her maybe six or seven times a year, mm-hmm. and it just that didn't feel right to me. And I thought, you know, if I can, if I can simplify my life and reclaim some of my time, I'll be able to to foster better relationships. So yeah, that's one of the things we talk about in in live a meaningful life. And then uh, health, you know, I I, I found that. When I am unhealthy, it's a lot easier for me to be depressed. And I think that's how it goes for most people. Unhealthy equals depression. Mm. And I decided to uh, simplify my diet and simplify um, you know, my, my exercise routine. And I was able to lose about 35 pounds. You know, I don't have like big vanity muscles. I don't think that's what health is. I think it's about how you feel. And, mm. and I've really been able to focus on my health and feel a lot better. Something else that we talk about is cultivating a passion, doing something for yourself. I I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the States, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, you watch TV, you get up and you rinse, repeat. And then on the weekends, it's just, you know, pacifying yourself until it's time to eat again, whether it's with TV or whether it's with the internet or whatever it may be. And what I found is that actually going out of my way to do something for myself, to, to cultivate a hobby, uh, whether it's writing or whether it's snowboarding or whether it's yoga, whatever it may be, I, I found that that really helped break up that nine to five cycle. Um, well, it was more like five to nine for me, but it really helped break up that cycle. And then the last two things that we talk about um, in that book is growth and contribution. They really go hand in hand. We all have the desire to grow. Every single one of us. I mean, that's why we get married and have kids and buy a house and go on vacation and go for promotions. I and mean, these are all growth experiences. And Josh and I found that we grow the most when we contribute to others beyond ourselves in a meaningful way. So, those five areas health, relationships, cultivating a passion, growth, contribution for me, that is what is most important to me now. And what I really appreciate about that recipe is there's no there's no uh, monetary or there's no, there's no one thing like one possession that I have to have to focus on those areas. It's, I could be rich, I could be poor. It doesn't matter. Those five areas I can, I can focus on. And I'm just, I'm as happy or I feel as content uh, as the, as, as the weakest link in that, if that makes sense. So, you know, I could have great relationships and cultivating passions, but if I'm unhealthy, I'm not going to be happy. So, you know, every day um, I'm focused on one of those areas in in some way. And when I feel any type of discontent, I really have to analyze those five areas and see where I'm lacking.
1: Um, It sounds from what you've just said, but also from the book itself, that much of this realization came from self-reflection. Did you have any mentors or role models or advice or, you know, people to to learn from apart from just self-reflection
0: yes yeah, certainly i mean i certainly look up to the people that i mentioned i mean leo babalta he was a huge uh, role model for me uh so was so was joshua becker i mean I, you know i don't think i'm gonna go have six kids like leo but i do plan <laughs> on getting married and having kids one day um so looking up to to people like that uh, really helped and then you know you know some older um writings like seneca i mean he's 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 pretty good um thoreau he's he's uh, gets, has some great advice, uh, great perspectives. Um, you know, uh, definitely, I, I don't, you know, I don't prescribe to any one religion. Um, but I, you know, I love the story of Buddha. Um, but yeah, I, I think what's cool about all of, all of those role models that I mentioned, I mean, they, they do practice simplicity and what I was able to do is, you know, kind of tweeze ingredients out from each of their recipes mm. and, and come up with my own recipe.
1: So when you were both traveling the world, how do you keep up – do you have a system for your blogging schedule or, you know, how do you keep up with running a publishing company, running a <laughs> successful blog, <laughs> doing yeah. all these talks? Is there some kind of system?
0: It's, cer- it's certainly a lot. There is no, like, mathematical formula we have in place. It's not like we commit to posting two or three times a week. Um, it's It's really – about finding the time to sit in the chair and write, which is definitely a lot more difficult on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we went on this last stint in Australia and in the UK and Ireland, we had about a six week break. So uh, we wrote some essays to um, kind of help, uh, you know, to, to help with some of the writing pressure that we face on the road. Um, but typically, our productivity. Uh, our, as far as our output goes with essays and with writing, it does, uh, it does wane a little bit while we're on the road. Um, mm. but, but, yeah, there, unfortunately, yeah, there is no routine we can get into <laughs> while yeah. we're on the road. It's just kind of finding <laughs> the time to write. But, you know, I, I think that's the most important thing for writers in general. I mean, writers write, and it doesn't have to be a certain environment it doesn't have to uh, you know you don't have to have your cup of coffee in front of you and your notepad next to you and uh, you know it's really about just getting in the chair and writing and finding the time to do that whether you can get in you know whether you can schedule an hour in the morning or it may, maybe it's finding an hour to a week it's it's about mm. about actually sitting in the chair
1: i know a lot of listeners will be interested to a to know how you monetize, how you get revenue, how you manage to afford to stay around, the to, to go around the world and, and, and do free talks, um, so yeah. what? how has the, the blog, The Minimalists, evolved to become a business and what? where are your typical revenue sources?
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. We don't really have like one main revenue source. Mm. It really comes from, there's a lot of different things that we do. Uh, what, what cause we get asked this question all the time. Mm. How do you make money? Mm. Which I, 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 hate that question, but I understand why people ask it. Um, but, uh, but, but cause it's kind of like the first question we ask when we meet someone, right? What <laughs> do you do?
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> it really, and really what that question means is um, where do you fall on the socioeconomic scale so I can compare yourself to me? But that's really <laughs> impolite if you ask the question now. <laughs> um, but, but no, as far as what minimalism has done for us, is, it has allowed us to be entrepreneurs. So w- w- first what I did was, uh, was get my expenses way down. I made like a sixth uh, that first year after um, I, well, I got laid off from my job. Jo- uh, Josh actually left about eight months before me, but you know, we both made about a, a sixth, uh, maybe even less than that after that first year. But what we were able to do uh, was have our time back. So yeah, we, we, we started with a book and that was a source of revenue. And then we put a couple essay collections together. That was another source of revenue. Then Josh started a writing class, which by the way, if, if your audience uh, is looking to incorporate really good habits into their writing, Josh's writing class is a great, uh, way to do that. He, he really uh, helps people to come up with really good habits. I think that's as a writer, you have to have good habits. And, and Josh really kind of helps people come up with their own re- their writing recipe. Um, and then uh, I started mentoring. So I do one-on-one mentoring where um, I will spend time with people to help them. Maybe they're looking to downsize and they don't you know they're feeling overwhelmed with with approaching all the stuff that they have or maybe they're looking for another job or maybe they're starting a business or maybe they're starting a blog Mm. um i i I help people with that and then yeah we've got a publishing company um but yeah there is no one particular source of revenue and and you mentioned that our events are free and we're very fortunate to be able to do that but yeah last year we made uh, more money than the year before and Mm. we we said hey if we're gonna do this tour um We could probably do this for free if we do that, right? So, uh, we we still keep it simple. Um, We we will stay with people, uh, you know, while we're on the road. We find different ways to cut costs here and there. Mm. Um, But yeah, it certainly is expensive. But but you know, what we've been able to do, like I said, is be be entrepreneurs, and and we've we've done really well. And we've been we decided to do this tour.
1: Yeah, great. So finally, what would your advice be to somebody who's listening and they've started their blog? I mean, you, obviously when you started your blog, you had no idea it was going to grow this big. But now you've got the benefit of hindsight and you can probably pick some key things that you did to, to, you know, grow it to this success. So what would your advice be to somebody who has started their blog and they're hoping for it to be <laughs> as successful as yours is um, one day? What are some of the key things that they should consider?
0: You know, I think first and foremost, you have to add value to your readers. And what I mean by that is, someone is going to have to get something out of your writing that they're not going to get from someone else. Mm. That's, I mean, that's what, that's why people read. It's they read the first line, and, and the first line's supposed to make them want to read the next line, and so forth, and so on. And I think what Josh and I did is we were able to put a unique story out there that people were able to get value from. The other thing I would say, too, is never forsake quality, ever. Mm-hmm. I, I, we, we, we would never publish anything that we haven't went through with a fine-tooth comb three times. Yeah. I mean, we, we really have never forsook our, 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 uh, our quality of our work. It's very well-edited. Um, our format, our, our formatting is. I think it's it's great. I mean, it's as good as we can get it. Um, I mean, w- when we launched our first book, we went to you know like a Barnes and Nobles or something. We had a ruler like measuring the, the uh, you know the different formatting, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the different formatting layouts. So we really paid close attention to our the quality of our work. Um, but yeah, I would say those those two things are the the biggest. Keys is, is adding value mm. and never forsake quality. You know, what? I can think of a third one too is be consistent. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if you start a blog and you post once a week and you're doing that for six weeks straight mm. and then you stop for six weeks, mm. it, it's gonna it's gonna wane. That your attention is going to wane because you could be adding value, you could have really high quality work, but. When you've got someone who is enjoying reading your stuff and then all of a sudden you're not putting out any new content, they're, they're going to eventually not come back mm. to your website. So consistency is important too.
1: And on that point, do you ever feel the pressure that you just have to keep coming up with new essays and new ideas, you know, um, because you have now 5 million people that you <laughs> might disappoint as opposed to, you know five.
0: <laughs> oh, you know, I, we write for ourselves. I, I write for myself and I am learning a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm only 33. I just turned 33. Um, I am still learning a lot. I'm still learning new lessons. I don't ever put pressure on myself to push out new content. I, sometimes it's, it's an interview that we have, you know, it's, it's oh well, wow, this is a really good book that I just read. Like we just did an interview, uh, with Sam Harris. He just had a book come out called waking up Uh, it was a really good, it was a really good opportunity for us to kind of, uh, put uh, something out there for our readers to show them, Hey, this is where we we get inspiration from. Mm. And I I never write for the reader ever, because if I did that, then I would never write anything because there's no way to please 5 million people is impossible. Uh, I, I I put out the best work that I can, uh, Josh and I put out the best work we can and we write for ourselves. So no, I don't ever feel any pressure. Um, And, and I and, like I said, I, I never write for the reader.
1: I love that, but write the best work you can and write for yourself. Um, all right, well, look, best of luck on the rest of your world tour. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. Yeah, um, thank you. yeah and um, any parting words to uh, you know Australians who are listening to you in particular, since you haven't actually been here before, I believe?
0: Yeah, yeah, I will if I could leave behind just one thing from this whole tour. One message. It's pretty simple. It's love people and use things because the opposite never works.
1: Great. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Ryan.
0: Thank you. Take care.
1: Okay. So that was Ryan from The Minimalists. Well, um, that was you're gonna, very interesting. Well, are you going to be, you know, checking out my, my, many of your belongings anytime soon, Earl?
2: Um, I do go through kind of phases of that because I I actually chucked a whole lot of stuff off my desk not so long ago because I realized I actually couldn't even find my keyboard anymore
1: oh yeah it tends
2: to all get you know surround me and I always feel so much better Mm. once I've you know cleared a bit of space but I'm not that great at it I do you know what I do do though I clear my bookshelves off regularly I used to be someone who like carted around 2,000 books I don't do that anymore where do they go I, I give them away once they're, once they're read. If I'm not going to read them again, if it's some, not something I feel like I really need to desperately hold on to to reread or whatever, mm. um, I give them away.
1: But to, to specific people or to a charity or what?
2: Well, I have a, um, I'll have often have friends over and they'll go through the boxes and take whatever they want and um, I'll take them to the school fete. We just recently had our school fete so I took about two or three boxes of books to that mm. um, or I'll take them down to... yeah. I, I try to make them go to good homes. Yeah. I'm quite I want my books,
1: I want my books to go to a good home because I recently had a big clean out of one particular bookshelf and that particular bookshelf actually had a lot of business books. But some of these business books, you know, were, were excellent, you know, but I just don't necessarily need to refer to them again or I got what I needed out of them and, you know, I've got so many books in my house, it's ridiculous. So, I went to um, the local library in my suburb and I said, look, I've got these, I've got a lot of these. T- completely brand new um, and really good condition because I'm, you know, I'm quite anal about the condition of my books and um, they've been released in the last six months. So, they're, they're really new titles. You know, would you like them? Because I browsed their business um, book section first just to see whether it needed a boost <laughs> and yeah. um, I felt it did. So, I offered them this and the lady just looked at me and she just went, no. Oh, what? <laughs> And I said, oh, but they're they're really new. They're only released in the last six months and I I know that you don't have any of them. I've just looked.
2: And she just went,
1: oh, no. If we got them, we'd probably just sell them. (laughs) Oh, no. I was shocked. I don't know whether...
2: That's, That's a slap. That's a slap in the <laughs> face, baby.
1: <laughs> exactly, or whether you know, just people in my suburb obviously don't care about business. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you need to move immediately.
1: Yes, clearly. But anyway, let us move on to our app pick of the week. It's Good just. A, it's a cute. App Pick, it's called the Clickbait Headline Generator. I mean, we are all subjected to clickbait these days, wherever, you know, even in some of our most mainstream online newspapers, they all just, because they're measured by their clicks. So it's always, you know, this elephant, you know, walked to the pond. You'll never guess what happened next.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He had a drink. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's so disappointing. That's the trouble. Like you just, how many times can you be disappointed before you don't click anymore? Exactly. And yet they get us every time.
1: Yes, definitely. So this is a clickbait headline generator. So you can just keep on clicking. Like the one that's up at the moment is 41 life-changing chat-up lines that will be explained by British people. (laughs) (laughs) How
2: many is that on my Then board? you
1: click on the button that says another, and uh, a new one comes up. And so the one that's come up is three light switches that look like Lloyd, uh, Lord Lloyd Webber. Just completely <laughs> random crap, you know. That is well, this video I'm will saying. prove you've been cutting beef wrong your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> So, I probably have. <laughs> and and you can tweet it, you can share it on Facebook, or you know, you can you can view the actual uh, clickbait headline as a fake website. So very clever. You know, big ups to Rob Manuel, who who created the generator. <laughs> well
2: that's fun, isn't it? That's yeah, you know, we just in a case
1: you want to procrasty surf, <laughs> that's it's something you can have a look at.
2: <laughs> procrastibait.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah procrastibait. So we have a question um, this week from Ali. Thanks for sending us your question, Ali. And if anyone else has a question, a working writer's tip that you would like us to answer, do email us at podcast at so, Ali has said, so I'm going to ask you the question now.
2: Oh, okay, I'm ready. I,
1: I have a question for Valerie and Alison, but I'm asking Allison. <laughs> they talk about making right time to write on their podcast. However, my question is around making time to read. I find I don't have time to read all the content I'm interested in across Facebook, Twitter, blog and newsletters not to mention magazines, books and newspapers. Um, as a writer, I know I need to read a lot so I understand my target audience. I also know I have a lot to learn, so I subscribe to a lot of content to that end. However, I find I don't have time to read it all. Go, out. Al. <laughs>
2: Ow! Okay. Um, So my first thought would possibly be to cull a little bit of the, um, or curate, shall we say curate? Let's say Mm. curate the content that you're subscribing to. So um, I would have a very good look at what you're actually subscribing to and really choose maybe three or four that are very useful Mm. because there is a lot of stuff out there. Mm. Um, Or you could use a content curator like, um, What's that one we use? Zite. Zite. I love it. I always want to say Zite. But Zite is fantastic. I tell Zite what I'm interested in and it feeds me interesting posts all the time. Um, And I don't necessarily have to subscribe to every single blog in the world to get the stuff I want. Um, So that's one one thing I would say. Um, Secondly is that I don't tend to read books and things like that when I'm actually writing because I get confused. Yep. So I focus on one thing at a time and then when I'm not writing, I read a lot. Um, so that's probably the, the writing time is then taken up by reading time. Mm. Um, but I do, I have found that I just have to be more um, discerning, I guess, than I have been in the past because I am so busy at the moment. Mm. Um, but the other thing is I tend to just squeeze it in. Like if I'm waiting in the playground, I read a couple of blog posts if I'm, you know, Having my morning coffee, I'll have a quick twirl through a couple of sites and have a look at those. I just understand that I don't have time to read everything, so I try to be discerning about what I do read.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, you? definitely. <laughs> I think that. <laughs> I think that if you – there are some things that you do want to read so that you understand your target audience. Now, I think that in – I agree that you need to cull slash curate, but the way you make that decision is that if you want to write for a particular title, make sure you are reading that title for sure. So So they're on your must list, and that's an easy way to – to cull and you can just chuck the rest so you might identify here are the three titles i really want my byline to appear in and just you just need to make the time that's just part of the writing process because you need to understand the market um there is a lot of stuff that you do come across on facebook or you come across on twitter you think oh that would be nice to read and but you can't read it then because it just stuffs up your day it's very you know interrupting Mm. so um you know use an app an app or some kind of um you know thing that enables you to save later like pocket so we'll yep. put the link in the show notes you just it's just get and you can um view it later uh, there are many other ones that similar to pocket that you you can use but that's that's just one um and so you don't then interrupt your day and then maybe then when you do have that cup of tea at 3 o'clock or whatever or your glass of wine at the end of the day, that's when you pull out your device and you can start catching up, you know, on some reading. So you actually set aside that time, you know, kind of like your relaxed time for the reading, but, mm. but your, your must-reads have to be must-reads and you just need to decide what three or whatever they are and make sure you read them. Yeah.
2: yeah. There you go. There so you go. So that's wisdom from try, Val and Al. Try not to procrastinate too much like that. See, I use reading as procrastination. So to me, I guess in some cases, I'm not actually procrastinating. I'm working.
1: Whatever you tell yourself. It's all
2: in the the mindset. There you go. All
1: right. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. What are you up to this week until we speak next?
2: Uh, Well, I have two um, school talks booked in for this week. So I'm off to talk to people about the Mapmaker Chronicles. um, And that will pretty much take me out until the end of the week.
1: Fantastic.
2: And you? What have I got on this week? I've, you know, Christmas party season has started.
1: I've, oh. I've actually got a couple of those on the agenda. So, oh. yeah. That's, that's exciting. That's, that's early. Ex- is that early? Oh, but you know, I know some people who had their Christmas parties in October. It's ridiculous. Oh,
2: that is ridiculous. ridiculous. That's not that's not even Christmas.
1: <laughs> no, but considering Coles and Woolies had their Christmas decorations out shortly after Easter, this is yeah. actually probably quite late. <laughs> So, um, bye <laughs> next week. I can tell you about the Christmas parties. So, uh, until then, thank you so much for listening. We really love your feedback and your tweets and your Facebook messages. So, thank you so much. If you have a question, podcast at and you can find the show notes at au slash podcast. You'll find me on Twitter at Valerie Koo and Alison.
2: At Al Tate, d
1: a i t. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.